What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. This is the KFRU Sunday Morning Roundtable podcast. To hear the show live, tune in to News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 AM KFRU Sunday mornings from 8 AM to 10 AM. Or ask Alexa to play KFRU. Now, the KFRU Sunday Morning Roundtable podcast from News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 AM KFRU. The Sunday Morning Roundtable Mike Murphy is out today. Mark Mills in to get things underway here. And Steve Spellman is also joining us this morning with Bob Roper on the Sunday morning roundtable. One note, we haven't had to worry about keeping track of the amount of rain in the last few months, but 79 hundredths of an inch of rain in the last 24 hours at Sanborn Field and at Columbia Regional Airport at the National Weather Service Station, 1.08, one inch and eight tenths. So, uh, much-needed rain coming down. Bob? Morning, Mark uh, and Steve. Good to have you here. Some uh, preliminary things. First, a uh, major shout-out to former Mizzou wrestler and grad uh, Keegan O'Toole, who just won, if you can believe it, the uh, world uh, uh, the title for the world championships. And, of course, that qualifies him for the Olympic trials. So congratulations to Keegan, who must be, who is obviously a world-class wrestler, uh, making Mizzou proud. Secondly, I guess we have a time change coming up next week. I'll have to remember to get up at the right time. Second, uh, thirdly, uh, Halloween is Tuesday. And <clears throat> be sure and get ready for all the kiddos. If you open the door and they give you candy, you probably have a problem on your hands. Uh, anyway. Uh, Finally, our guest today uh, is Dr. Uh, Moon Choi, the uh, president of the University of Missouri System, as well as the chancellor of uh, Mizzou. <clears throat> because of the, the extensive amount of things to talk about with Dr. Choi, I asked if he might be interested in coming in early. So he will actually join us at 830, and we will go over a whole host of topics, items, etc., uh, from 8.30 till we are done at 10 o'clock. Steve, welcome. Uh, good morning, Bob. Glad to be here with you. Thanks. Uh, some, we got a half hour or so to talk before we switch over to Dr. Choi. Uh, I was looking at this Como Buzz article by Mike, Activists Seeking Sanctuary City Declaration for Columbia. You know, you'll, Sanctuary cities became famous for uh, these blue cities, uh, uh, big cities uh, taking in uh, illegals across the country. I, how's that? I'm not sure that's working out for them very well right now. But, but anyway, they want to do that here in Columbia uh, with respect to those state laws that were passed. Uh, uh, these are the socialists among us. Uh, the uh, laws that passed that prohibit physicians from providing gender-affirming health care rights to some minors, et cetera. I don't think that'll be legal. Of course, it has to be passed by ordinance. I don't know if they can get it passed. But I don't think the attorney general's office or the governor's office will stand 
uh, down and allow that to happen if they uh, uh, openly declare a uh, sanctuary city in that regard and then uh, violate the state law openly. I think you can expect legal action, but we'll we'll see if they can even get it passed. Uh, we'll see. Any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, throw me into the bus over here, culture culture war things. But, um, you know, probably, you know, reaction to state government basically um, having heavy regulations on uh, transgender medical treatments for youth, and that's offensive to a lot of folks. Um, some of the language I think that's probably used in some of the, the declaration that will be proposed here is um, that's uh, danger – uh, to LGBT folks, that there's a life-threatening uh, type situation. And many people see as, was well, there, I mean, physical violence that's being threatened against certain um, sexual minorities? And and I think we're, diff- we're talking different cultural languages out here. And uh, I think that's part of, uh, part of what this is. Um, probably be favorable uh, reception to the city council. But your point you know, is it going to inflame the attorney general's office? We talked with him on this show several weeks ago, and it, it'll just inflame that again. It will. And and by the way, uh, these folks need to know that, that the polling shows that uh, approval of the voters of this state by about 75 percent or more. So uh, they're swimming against the tide. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I haven't it's a little hard to take these folks seriously when you look at the track record of socialism anyway. So uh, it gets aligned with other political alignments and so forth. You know, informally, Columbia, Missouri has been a, uh, a place where a lot of folks who are gay, et cetera, have gravitated toward uh, from rural parts of Missouri. I've known several people in Northern Missouri that, uh, you know, are gay and, felt more comfortable in the cosmopolitan community of Columbia. It, that's not a declaration by our local government, but culturally people feel more comfortable. Um, and so this is, uh, again, it's going to inflame the culture war stuff again. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with uh, a lot of folks uh, wanting to come to Columbia because of its liberal, right. tolerant nature in that regard. Uh, they should feel safe here. That's for sure. Yeah, we don't want the lynchings or discrimination things. But, right. Uh, you know, the overregulation of medical treatments for for youth is, I think, inflamed us further. So. Right. Well, we'll see where that goes. But it was a nice piece by Mike. Uh, another item: uh, Greg Steinhoff is resigning from the uh, uh, Boone Hospital Board of Trustees. He's been on there twice and has been a powerful, strong uh, member. I hate to see him leave, but he said he, he had retired uh, last year and he had personal reasons that put him on the road a lot. So I accept his explanation. He'll be uh, resigning as of uh, November 1st. And don't forget, they have a new CEO coming in uh, later in November. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope the uh, I wish him well. And I certainly wish the hospital well. Uh, they've been through quite a bit of danger. And we're hoping that things are turned around, but we have trouble getting the data, so we don't know for sure. Yeah, if our friend Mike Murphy were here in the seat instead of me filling in, uh, he would probably say, well, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I want to spend more time with my family when they step back from something. But um, I I don't doubt that. Uh, Mr. Steinhoff's well-regarded. We're both acquainted with him. Sure. A great reputation in the community. Mm -hmm. I, I don't question that, put words in his mouth. but. Boone Hospital is, has financial issues um, that, are, that are being sorted out. Mike's really dug into that more than most journalists in the community. And, um, you know, 
it's probably a challenging time. Um, so, um, and we'll get, you know, a new leader to replace him. Well, that'll be uh, coming in the news, I'm sure, pretty shortly. Yeah, well, that's a, that is a uh, an appointment made by the county commission. And he's uh, resigning as of, I think, November 1st was the date, I think, that was cited there. Mm-hmm. That's the effective date of his uh, resignation. Okay. Some uh, election stuff to uh, to comment on. Uh, we didn't talk about it before, but uh, <clears throat> Janet Thompson, the Northern District uh, Commissioner, uh, has announced plans to seek re-election. Uh, we didn't talk about it before. Of course, she's served at least two terms, uh, I think. Yes. Uh, or actually, maybe she's I think uh, she may be on her third. third it's been a while she's been yeah. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know of anybody wanting to run against her. Uh, Caleb Rowden, people have been wondering for quite a while what <laughs> Senator Rowden was going to do since he's term limited out, and we now have her answer. He's running in the primary uh, <clears throat> for Secretary of State. Uh, so uh, we wish him well. Confirming glorified l- rumors for a while, What's I think. Uh, uh, confirming glorified rumors for a while, I think, on that on that front. Exactly. And uh, <clears throat> Doug Mann, the... Uh, uh, state rep yeah. in the 50th House District, that's on the south side of Columbia, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to run again for personal reasons, and we wish him well. Uh, so it's a pretty much a Democratic district, so I would imagine uh, it'll be a Democrat uh, hold on the district, but yeah. we'll have to see. You, you don't know till the votes are in. And uh, petitions to run for the 2nd and 6th Ward, if you can believe it, as of uh, October 31st, uh, people can start filing. It's pretty easy to run. You need all of 50 registered voters, et cetera, turn them in in time, uh, which I don't know when it is. But people can get started right now, so you might expect to hear a little bit of activity of uh, people that are planning to run. Uh, don't know if you got any news to make on that regard or not. Um, yeah, on the, the second ward uh, piece there. Um yeah, so uh, Mike had on 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 line there. Um, you know, there's going to be a temporary appointment, uh, like was mentioned there. That's going to be coming up uh, pretty soon. There's a couple people that Mike reports are in the hopper there, but then there's going to be a regular election come April. And I'd seen I don't know how public it is, but uh, uh, Lisa Meyer has said that she intends to uh, put in for that and was looking to uh, circulate a petition to get those signatures. That's a, a spouse of Jim Meyer who uh, many uh, listeners may recall, uh, ran unsuccessfully uh, there a few years ago for the second ward seat. So um, family affair, I guess, in that regard. Both, um, you know, very involved, concerned citizens there. So that's that's all I've heard so far for the April election. Right. Uh, <clears throat> uh, they're in the real estate business, as I recall. They both they are. They brokerage. They, they do, yeah. They're business partners as well as uh, life partners. Okay. Another thing that came up recently is uh, something Mike did, and that's uh, uh, oh, the whole Knoth, uh, mm. what's his name? Nick uh, Knoth? Nick, yeah. yeah. Uh, a first ward councilman who uh, opinions vary on how extensive his potential conflicts are, but uh, it sparked a recall p- uh, petition. And I don't know if they have the signatures, uh, enough signatures yet or not. They thought. They would have them by the end of the this last week, but I haven't heard. Uh, I, I I've not either. Um, they will get them though. There's little doubt. Yeah, and there'll there'll be a thing, and and I I just question the wisdom of, you know, how many wide a swath of types of people do we want to disqualify, you know, across the board 
from public service. Um, you know, there's a lot of people work for Mizzou or Columbia Public Schools that for policy or whatever, you know, basically don't run for office quite often. And you start going down that line about, well, this person have conflict interest because they work in this industry or they do this or the other. And, uh, you know, conflict of interest, as you all know, I don't want to talk to a lawyer about this, but um, that is a thing. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's mean, hey, we're aware of this. If there's something that is a conflict on a particular vote or something, you say, hey, I'm not going to vote on that. Um, and, and that's been done and that's been managed. And we got into this world of distrust. And Nick Knoth, his response to all this is, hey, it's people that didn't like me in the first place. They got sour grapes. It's basically the, the comeback there. I, I don't know what should be done. But again, you know, running a recall against a, a rightfully elected public official, even if something changes in their life, is it substantive enough to say, I want them kicked out of office? And that's a that's a tough thing. We have this nationally, and it's a big mess, and I just is kind of discouraged by the recall thing against Nick. I, I think he's a respectable person from what I can tell. And you know, if you got a conflict of interest, look to manage it going forward. Um, yeah, I think Mike Murphy uh, feels pretty strongly about it. That he does. It's not only a, an appearance of a conflict, but an actual one. Uh, my view would be sort of in between. For example, how would Nick uh, vote when the uh, contentious issue of Airbnb mm-hmm. regulation comes up? Because it's a, a very polarizing, difficult issue. Yeah. And uh, it would probably be appropriate for him to recuse himself on all of that. Uh, he, But if he might take a different view. Well, we could cross that bridge when we come to it. But well, saying yeah. he's kicked out of office, he can't even get to that because he might on everything would be tainted. I, I just don't subscribe to that. Yeah. Well, it's on it's on its way to his desk. It I is. Tell you that. It'll be a thing. It will be. Uh, be interesting to uh, uh, see what uh, yeah. they come up with. But, I, but, I don't really know who the people are that are behind this. Are they citizens? Are they some special interest group, or do you know? I, I couldn't speak to that. Um, yeah. if, if I could, back on the Doug Mann, the state rep who said he's going to finish out his term. Um, you know, it takes a big person to say, hey, you know, I'm – I'm having mental challenges. I'm dealing with some stuff. Uh, there was a, was it Chris Coster, the statewide uh, yeah. person who uh, ran for uh, statewide office didn't that didn't work out. Was running for Kansas City mayor and said, "Hey, time out. I've got PTSD issues from my time in the service. I, I got personal things I can deal with. I need to step back from this." And again, it takes a big person to admit that they're dealing with stuff, and a lot of people are these days. Let's take a time out. <clears throat> we'll be back with more, and of course, Dr. Moon Choi coming in. Uh, in just a few minutes on this version of the Sunday Morning Roundtable, 98.9 FM, 1400 AM, KFRU. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose, to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! 
the hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> in 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen. Coming up on 827 on this Sunday morning roundtable, 29th day of October, 2023. And we continue with the Sunday morning roundtable. Bob Roper and Mike Murphy. Mike is out today. Steve Spellman has joined in for the program this morning. And we also welcome into the show Dr. Moon Choi, the president of the University of Missouri System and the chancellor of the University of Missouri, Columbia. Bob? Well, Dr. Choi, it's always a pleasure to have you here. So thanks for coming in. And thanks for coming in early, as a matter of fact. My pleasure to be here, Bob. Great to be here with you. Well, great. The uh, Your background is uh, you went to a little college in uh, New Jersey called Princeton mm-hmm. Engineering, mm-hmm. and you came here from the University of uh, Connecticut, uh, as I recall, the provost. Mm-hmm. Am I right, right so far? That, that is correct. Uh, let's see, March 1st, 2017? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still been getting a little a. while now. Yeah, yeah, it's been. It's yeah. Okay, I'm doing okay. And uh, I didn't have any crib sheet or no, notes. Yeah. The uh, uh, let me lead off by saying I always thought when I've talked to you, your goal was you found Missouri to be a good university when you got here, not a bad or mediocre university. You want to take it to very good which is kind of where I think we are now after your six and a half years or so to a great university uh, by the time you're done. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yes, it is. And that's why I've been focused on achieving excellence in all that we do and prioritizing those uh, areas and metrics that define excellent university student success research breakthroughs, and as a land-grant, engagement with the community and the state to make lives, to save and improve lives throughout the state. Well, I think you're well on your way. Uh, The numbers get better. By the way, uh, why don't you talk about uh, enrollment numbers, success of recent graduates, retention numbers, et cetera. I've heard you talk about those, and they're actually pretty impressive. We're very excited about the progress that we made. Uh, back in in the fall of 2017, we had about 4,100 freshmen enter the university. This year, we have o- almost 5,200 freshmen entering mm-hmm. the university. Combine that with another 1,100 <clears throat> transfer students, and we have a very healthy student population. Students want to come to the University of Missouri because of what we provide. Outstanding education, research opportunities, and also SEC athletics. And uh, already this year, we're seeing that our applications are up this year compared to last year, Mm -hmm. about 14 to 15 percent. And a lot of that excitement uh, is created by what's happening on the football field. Well, uh, I've always said, and I come from a little rural community in southwest Missouri, when that Missouri football team did well, it's amazing how many people wanted to go to Mizzou. And now it's true with basketball also, and women's basketball to That's some extent. That's right, so, and sports of all types in the SEC. We'll talk about that a little later because sure. uh, uh, things are looking up in mm-hmm. that regard. 
what about retention numbers? I think those are really cool, too. Retention numbers hit an all-time high of 91.3%. Last year was uh, 89.6%. So very significant jump in one year, and that's mm-hmm. the highest we've ever been. And I focus on that number because it's the same number that Purdue has had for many years. And so this is our first year at 91%. If we maintain our retention at that level, our graduation rates will also go up like Purdue's. Right. Well, and uh, <clears throat> the the message there is people like being here. People like being They're here. Satisfied. They want to stay. And uh, from an anecdotal standpoint, mm-hmm. and I do this all the time, I, I – uh, see some young person working as a server somewhere. Mm-hmm. I ask them if they go to Mizzou. Invariably, how do you like it? Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. So, That's what I hear, too. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear that from my daughter, who's a student. Uh, <laughs> and Bob, just to interject, you mentioned about some of the enrollment numbers and so forth. Certainly, the last few years have been a challenge with in-person anything. Um, international students has been a headwind. People can't travel, or there's headwinds there for multiple reasons. But, you know, demographically in the country, basically the number of high school graduates that are typically uh, the folks that enter undergrad, you know, in the traditional student path, right? That's kind of crested, and that's nationwide as far as demographics go, and I think in our state as well. What are you seeing from an industry standpoint of higher ed and for your institution with the University of Missouri? And you're absolutely right. Uh, demographics of high school graduates peaking has has crested in many states that surround us, or it will crest. In Missouri, that crest will happen in 2026. So it's coming up very soon. (laughs) And so it's really incumbent upon universities and university leaders, faculty and staff, to continue to advocate and, and discuss the benefits of higher education. And it's not just about preparing one a student for a job, but it's really educating the student to become productive, productive citizens in a democratic society. And we do that all the time throughout the state. When we meet with student groups, when we meet with the Rotary Clubs, and when we discuss the value of higher education with state legislators, and that's one of the reasons why we had the highest level of of, uh, state appropriations this year in our history. And we, uh, we have a phone call. We're going to go to that. 442-8255. Good morning. You're on the Sunday Morning Roundtable on KFRU. Good morning. You've said in the past how important it is to involve the community in the university. One of the programs that we used to have is called Science Saturday. In the past, you said you might look into resuming that. And I was curious to know what the progress has been in resuming Science Saturday. Um, I think that is still in discussions, but uh, you may know that we have a program with the RAGTAC where we select a movie and to have our experts come and discuss not only science but social uh, perspectives on a movie. And in many ways, they do focus on science. And so that's a program that is continuing. But we also have our OSHER program, which uh, deals with a variety of different topics for those members of the community that want to learn more about issues such as sustainable agriculture or artificial intelligence. So we do have those opportunities available. And the community is always welcome to join us when we have 
lectures and seminars from not only our own faculty, but visiting uh, scholars that come to our university. And uh, we do have a have a uh, website that's called Show Me Mizzou that discusses these upcoming programs. And, and we welcome the committee members to join us. Dr. Choi, the, uh, I'm going to throw in a little bit of a curveball here. Yes. Uh, last, a few months ago, West Virginia University, the president said that uh, higher ed is at a crossroads and made huge mm-hmm. cuts. Uh, needless to say, that didn't go down well with a lot of people, but uh, it's probably facing reality. I was thinking that uh, I'd like to get your thoughts. I sort of think that higher ed is at a crossroads to some extent. We've, uh, Steve brought up the demographic issue, and along with that, uh, fewer graduating seniors from high school want to go to higher ed anyway. As you've commented on that, the numbers are declining. Uh, you have access to trade schools, uh, tech schools, apprenticeships, you know, the cost issue, online or dual, et cetera, once again, a cost issue. And I would finally throw in one other, and of course, just the, the, the sheer issue of uh, how do we survive in this kind of environment. I'd add one other thing, and that is the behavior of elite uh, universities and students, uh, the, the shocking illiberalism with respect to Hamas and, and Israel, et cetera, and uh, this is also true in law schools. Uh, uh, some of those places look so radical, I wouldn't want to send my kids there. I mean, I'm a well-known conservative with a lot of libertarian blood through, through my veins. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that. But uh, am I beating a horse too much here, or is higher ed under some challenges? I don't know if you'd call it a crossroads or not, but is mm-hmm. it, uh, what, what's your take on that challenge? Well, I do believe that uh, higher higher education has been at a crossroad for many, many years. And university leaders, the faculty, and the staff have been focusing on ways to address uh, address those issues, whether it is the demographic shift in high school graduates that we uh, see across the country or the perception of higher education. You may recall there was a Pew study that was conducted not too long ago that had uh, nearly half of Americans that were polled that really questioned the value of higher education. And uh, when those sentiments arise, I think it's incumbent upon us to demonstrate to demonstrate the value of higher education and to do it in a way that is understandable. Uh, for many Americans, they believe that higher education is also has become uh, unaffordable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at the University of Missouri, we focused on ways to make higher education more affordable. One of the first things that I did uh, when I joined as the president was to introduce the open source textbooks so that we reduce the cost of textbooks for our students. And these are essentially free textbooks that are available that were, that were written by prominent scholars in the field. Uh, so that was one of the things that we did. But we also focused on increasing scholarships and uh, providing uh, really rigorous tests to provide the uh, the needs-based approach to providing mm-hmm. scholarships. In 2018, we provided the land-grant scholarships for all Missourian students 
that were from Pell families that were qualified to, att- to attend the University of Missouri with providing them with tuition and fees. One way or the other, we provided that to our students to reduce the, the burden of paying for tuition. And we have a great record. You have a great record as far as uh, indebtedness. Uh, we rank pretty well as far as our students we not do. walking out the door with we do. A, uh, too much of a burden of debt. That's right. And our, our, our loan, uh, the loans that our students take out are at a level that's lower than the national average. And we have one of the lowest uh, debt default rates in the state. Yeah, I'll also say uh, personally, I'm a Mizzou graduate business school uh, a few years ago, uh, late 90s uh, era and so forth. And I recall just vaguely from a tuition statement, not room and board and things like that, it crossed over about $2,000 a semester. Mm-hmm. And that's before any scholarship or that's gross and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two students, children at Mizzou, mm-hmm. econ and the natural resources, so mm-hmm. different tracks. And I'll tell you that in-state... Um, is a bargain compared to private or out of state. Uh, there's, there's a thing there, but also for uh, Spelman clan isn't um, we're a little too moderate income to qualify for some of the, the low income thing needs based. So, mm-hmm. okay, we've, we've saved some, but I'll tell you for kids with good grades and good uh, college entrance exam, your ACT, SAT type things, there's some, was it presidential awards and things like there's some tiers mm-hmm. that really makes it relatively more affordable. Full fare. It looked like uh, a semester again without room and board, about nine grand is mm-hmm. what I was seeing, mm-hmm. but it can really drive that down for both needs base, which I don't know about personally, but also academic performance that, you know, getting the, the best and brightest attracted to Mizzou and the That's university. Right. On top of that, there's a state bright flight program. There's a curator's professor, uh, curator's scholarship, chancellor scholarship and other merit-based scholarships as well that reduce the cost Mm -hmm. and students can also qualify to do uh, research internships that also provide support for the Mm -hmm. students to pursue research in biology to economics Mm -hmm. the uh, I don't want it to be intimated or said that I think Mizzou is in trouble or anything like that I think we're I think you Mizzou is positioned to do just great in the years ahead, even as higher ed as a whole is at uh, at a challenging time. But I would be very worried if I were the president of a small uh, liberal arts college with not much of a uh, an endowment right now. That's uh, it's sort of like the banking industry. We've had a big reduction in the number of banks, and are probably mm-hmm. going to have some more that be. Uh, closed out or bought, uh, and the numbers go down. I suspect the same will happen in higher education. But I'm uh, not worried about Mizzou. Yeah, uh, Mizzou and the three universities that are part of the yeah, system are the doing system. well. We've hit our financial targets. We were all able to provide uh, salary increases for the past three years for our employees. And uh, we are ranked very highly by S&P as well as Moody's in terms of our financial performance. So mm-hmm. our Administrators have really managed the the financial uh, challenges as well as the COVID challenges very well during that period. And a key factor that led to that was our ability to open the university for operation, full operation, beginning in the fall of 2020. We did not close the campus. We operated. You operated it. Yeah. What about... uh 
One national ranking I know I've heard you talk about is uh, best value. That's right. Uh, and I forget, is that uh, Missouri S&T or Mizzou or so, the system or who? <laughs> there are many best values. <laughs> uh, the U.S. News best value uh, ranking for all flagship universities in the United States, Mizzou ranks number nine in that category. But we are higher in that category than than very prominent universities, including Illinois, KU, Texas, UCLA, Georgia Tech. And there's so many universities that we are ahead of. And there are, I would say, probably about 80 to 90 flagship universities. Because if you think about University of California, one state, but they have UC Berkeley, UCLA, UC San Diego, and so forth. So that's a pretty good ranking, and that's something that we uh, – we will highlight in our market. Is the U.S. News and World Report still kind of the preeminent college ranking that people look at in the country? Or? It is probably the most recognizable, recognizable. And I have uh, some issues with how they— There's been controversy about that. Some colleges right. stepping back. They don't like the criteria. I think, right. I think we have to take a break. But before we do that, I want to reaffirm that Dr. Choi said we're ahead of KU. Oh, <laughs> uh, by far. We will take a break. It is the Sunday Morning Roundtable, 98.9 FM, 1400 AM KFRU. We're back after these messages. 847, it's the Sunday Morning Roundtable. Of course, Bob Roper, Steve Spellman in this morning, along with Dr. Moon Choi from uh, Missouri. Dr. Choi, before we get into some specifics in the second hour, a whole bunch of that, uh, some other things. I know you're treated very well by the legislature, both on uh, capital projects, but also just the ongoing uh, uh, monies, et cetera, uh, for the regular budget. So that uh, is a symptom to me of confidence in the university and your leadership. So uh, I'm just noting that. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I think I think you got we're treated pretty well. Yeah, we're so grateful to Governor Parson and the uh, and the legislature for providing the level of support that they did. Uh, I mentioned that we had the highest appropriations in our history of $487 million. And just four years ago, our appropriations was $360 million. And so the additional support allowed us to hire more faculty, provide pay raises for our faculty members and staff, and uh, provide investments for our research and student success programs, as well as extension. Mm -hmm. I read a fascinating article not too long ago that said, <clears throat> believe it or not, it may be important, more important what major you take, what course of study as far as your return on investment of your degree mm -hmm. than actually where you go to school. I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but the point is it really matters what uh, course of study. And, of course, everybody knows that if you become a, an engineer or uh, something else like that, mm -hmm. uh, uh, of course you're going to have a great return on investment. Do you counsel students about that, prospective students, as to, uh, you know, you, it may be just great to be an art history major, but mm -hmm. your return on investment for your degree is not going to be all that great. But on the other hand, starting salaries, particularly at S&T, are fantastic for their uh, science and technology grads. You, do you counsel people on that? Yes, we do have an Office of Financial Literacy as well as uh, having our advisors counsel students about degrees that they want to select so that they're fully aware of what the, uh, the market is for that degree. Um, but I think it's important to, 
educate students about the earning potential five, ten years down the road because many students, when they study history, for example, may not want to pursue a degree as a historian. They may go to law school. And a great example of that is Rich Kinder, who studied history at the university, went to law mm-hmm. school, and now is uh, chairman of a $50 billion company. And uh, He's done well. No one can argue with his success. <laughs> but for, for students to be aware of that. But then again, a student may, may attend the university to study education. They know that the salaries of Missouri teachers are not high. Recognizing that, they know that it's a passion that they have, and they want to contribute to society, and uh, and we appreciate them for it. And that's why mm-hmm. I appreciate the governor's uh, significant initiative, initiative to increase salaries of Missouri public uh, school teachers. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Choi, you, know, you mentioned about the interaction with uh, our state government, and I think there's a lot of – Obviously, a lot of opinions in the political realm, but confusion about, and, and myself, I'll, I'll state personally, about what kind of commitment state government is making to the university. You know, mm-hmm. this uh, amount of money you talk about, how many strings attached? Is this just general, hey, you can, whatever it does, a general support. There's uh, targeted projects, like they partner with, you know, Life Science Center or mm-hmm. other specific projects where there's, Maybe university money, a private donor with a you know namesake on the building. So mm. let's say and state money, uh, the you know next gen medical uh, facility, which I think Bob's going to get to. But what's that interaction look like? I, I won't ask you your opinion about mm. the functioning of our state senate. That's all. That's another thing. But what kind of interaction you have as far as telling Mizzou's story and the value there, and what that partnership looks like when they're appropriating our mm-hmm. tax dollars and you know what they feel like they're getting and what again what that investment looks like that interaction that you right. have with them so as you know a session begins in january of each year it's heating up here our work uh, with the elected officials is uh, really year-round mm-hmm. it's to meet them at events uh, that are held throughout the year it'll be at events that we uh, attend in their home districts where we can discuss Mm -hmm. the impact of our university in the communities in which they live. Now, if if we're speaking with members of the Boone County delegation, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, we focus on the value that we provide, the economic impact uh, that results from the investment that the state makes. But if it's with a legislator that lives in Carthage, Missouri, We talk about not only the value of of our impact to Missouri in general, but specifically to that region through our extension offices that provide more support for rural mental health, the rural broadband that we bring to bear because of our work. And so it's that constant interaction that occurs throughout the year that really illustrates the value that we provide. And we know that the state has high-priority needs in areas aside from higher ed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when they make a choice to provide us with $490 million, it is a significant investment that comes at the expense of something else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's really incumbent upon us to talk about the value that we create. And we've, met, we, we've been met with uh, 
our, our interactions have always been very positive. We may have disagreed on certain issues, but uh, in the end, they see the value, and we appreciate that. The, uh, I know that you ch- uh, track recent graduates and their success and, and what they're doing, uh, mm-hmm. not just the monetary part, but everything else. Mm-hmm. On the front end, though, <clears throat> you know, your football coach and basketball coaches – uh, they recruit. They, they they see somebody they want, mm-hmm. they go after them. Do we do some of that also for non-athletic people that just happen to be, <laughs> look like pretty, uh, potentially pretty darn good students that we want to have here? We do. We do. And uh, we do that better now than we did seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And we're very aggressive uh, in our approach. And when I say we do that better than seven years ago, uh, we have now the benefit of, of, of analytics and the ability to more effectively use social media that we didn't have as tools seven years ago. And uh, we're also uh, visiting every single high school in the state to talk about the value of a University of Missouri degree. And we're also reaching beyond the state, especially in Chicago, Denver, Dallas and some big markets in California so that we can expand the reach of our recruitment efforts. And as I shared with you, our applications are already up 14, 15% this year compared to last year. Fantastic. And a lot of that I think has to do with the excitement around our football program. And what that does is students get excited, parents get excited. And then they want to look at Mizzou more closely, and they find out what a fantastic university. It's got all that we're looking for, outstanding academics, affordability, and great athletics. And one more thing. You walk around the uh, old campus quadrangle, Mm -hmm. you're going to fall in love with this place. I I hear that. (laughs) I heard that from a student that said he was visiting from from Nebraska, and Mizzou was never on the radar until – he learned something about Mizzou from a friend, and he came to visit and was standing on Francis Quad watching the – looking at the uh, the columns. And he said the hair rose in the back of his <laughs> – he said, I knew this was a place for me. Yeah, Even yeah. A re- even with a refresh on the trees around the quad, the yes. old oaks that I guess had yeah. disease and had to be you taken out. the right out. thing there. You don't want those big limbs falling on somebody. We don't want those falling on a student, a potential customer, right? Exactly. right. Or anybody. Yeah. Yeah, or we anybody. Might, <laughs> we might dig into that in the, the, right. the second hour here about, you know, it's a public university, but you are a market participant. Mm-hmm. And there's a competition for people's dollars mm-hmm. and their life energy and investing their human capital in a higher education experience um, versus other you know, priorities in their life, mm-hmm. uh, basic needs or just going to the workforce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bob talked about, you know, really higher ed at a crossroads as an industry. And there's been a real history we can maybe touch on a little later. But, um, you know, it is a, an industry in transition. And that's a very, I think, legitimate way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not good or bad. It's just what we've got to deal with. And we have to evolve. You're absolutely right because the market forces are changing. And, you know, as, as educators. And that's a different term in public higher ed. They're not used to market forces. That's, that's not right. typically the way we describe things. That's right. Market forces and running a business. Absolutely. We, we're running a business of higher education. And. 
you know, as educators, we we uh, remind students about the importance of adapting, adapting, being resilient, and uh, we have to do that uh, as an organization, as an institution, to be able to adapt and be resilient. And by the way, the Mizzou system, the last time I checked, of all the public uh, schools in the state, mm-hmm. had the least overhead percentage, the lowest overhead percentage, which is something to be proud of, and mm-hmm. it certainly ought to be the goal of everybody to get it as low as possible to compete, like you just talked about. Now, we do need a certain level of administration to ensure that we have proper right. uh, operation, but whatever we can save in administration that can be pumped back into the academic research and extension programs will be to the benefit of the university. It used to be about 6%. Uh, is that still the number? I think it is lower. Uh, yeah. Just to give you an example, at the system level, we had about 20 people working in academics, research, and economic development. Mm-hmm. It's now down to two and a half. And all of the salary savings is now provided directly to the universities to invest in student success, research, and engagement. A lean operation. It is the Sunday morning roundtable. It's 9.08 on this Sunday morning. The last Sunday in October, we get to Halloween and then uh, into November. And, of course, uh, the weather acted a bit more like it's November rather than October. In the last few days, uh, some chilly temperatures Rain, of course, uh, coming down the last couple of... Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's What Women Binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. Scott Grimes is here Thank with you. us. Voiceover, that is like my dream job. I think I just have too distinctive a voice and I can't manipulate it. so why I'm right. not a good singer. This is how great Seth MacFarlane is. I went in to do it and I was talking like this and he goes, good, now just get rid of the neck thing that you just did because it's one, it's ugly. And then I just came out like this and came up with this guy named Steve Smith who has a tiny little lisp, but so does Scott Grimes, so it's perfect. What Women Binge wherever you listen. Days over an inch recorded at the Columbia Regional Airport. 442-8255 is the telephone number. And actually, uh, we're going to start this hour with the phone call. But Dr. Moon Choi, the president of the University of Missouri System and the chancellor of the University of Missouri Columbia, in as our guest for this hour of the program as continuation, Bob Roper. And, of course, uh, Steve Spellman is here as well, but we do go to the phones and say, welcome in. You're on KFRU on the Sunday Morning Roundtable. Dr. Choi, I hope nobody ever lures you away. You have transformed this university and this campus. I was a graduate student back here in the 70s, and I thought it was an attractive place. But I've walked through it a few times this fall, and this is one of the most beautiful college campuses I've ever seen. And you can't quantify that in terms of enrollment or student outcomes, but it's, I think it's very important to how the uh, university presents itself. Well, th- thank you for that, and I, I do agree. It is, the, it is such a beautiful campus, and... Mm-hmm. It shows that people that work at the university that maintain our our landscaping and facilities have the same level of uh, appreciation for achieving excellence, and, and they do such a great job. I love walking on the campus and seeing visitors admire the, uh, the beauty of the university. Thanks for your call, Bob. Well, Dr. Choi, let's switch gears. Uh, <clears throat> some other items to talk about for sure. Uh, the reactor. 
mm-hmm. and uh, I know there was a groundbreaking recently, mm-hmm. and there's big plans for a second reactor to be built over right. at Discovery Ridge. So could you talk about both those items and, the, and what it all means? Yes, we just had a groundbreaking for a building that we call Murr West, and that building will house more processing capabilities of the radioisotopes that we produce, as well as research laboratories and offices. Many of our researchers had uh, temporary offices that they've been in for the past 20, 25 years. And so we are, we are uh, providing really world-class space for them to do the important work that they do to save and improve lives. And that building was made possible because of the investment that Governor Parson and the state legislature made by providing us with ARPA funds for that building. And, uh, and the next reactor that we are planning, and we're in the planning stages, and we're currently evaluating firms to help us plan, design, conduct the environmental study, and provide the documents that we need to get NRC licensing for the new reactor. It's a reactor that will be double the size and therefore double the capacity of the current reactor, And it's not to replace. It'll be a new standalone reactor that we are planning for Discovery Ridge, uh, just east of our campus. And it would be the next generation of reactors, really, I guess, wouldn't it? With great uh, enhanced capability. Enhanced capabilities with manufacturing and processing capacity surrounding it. And uh, that planning study, which would cost uh, about $35 million, was made possible by... Senator Blunt, as well as Congressman Blake Luktemeyer, who provided $20 million from the federal government for that planning study. That'll be money well spent. And uh, uh, I don't know that people fully appreciate uh, all the fantastic uh, cancer treatments that come out of that Mm -hmm. reactor. And then with many of them having a short half-life, have to be flown all over the world. But uh, this this will improve all of that, too. It it will. In fact, uh, uh, as part of our uh, development activities, we just shipped about three weeks ago the first set of lutetium-177 radioisotopes that will be used in commercial product called Pluvicto for prostate cancer. But what's also exciting is we're going to be using that Pluvicto drug at our Ellis Fischel Cancer Center. So not only are we producing the radioisotopes, we're going to be using that drug to treat patients that need that mm-hmm. for very advanced stage of prostate cancer. From all over Missouri and beyond. <laughs> yeah. All over Missouri and beyond and uh, beyond. Yes. A few things to clarify. Just I know a lot of educated listeners here and so forth. So MUR, M-U Research Reactor. That's right. So it's the same <laughs> thing, right, a, lot, a lot of acronyms and so forth. And this is uh, this research reactor to basically develop, was it radioactive pharmaceuticals that's right specialty product one of the few such facilities in the nation that's right so that that's a big deal on mm-hmm. something that's going to be expanding uh discovery ridge you say is the location Where, where's that at exactly discovery ridge is out on 63 and if you know where park restaurant is and the area oh, southeast of town southeast of town it's across the Highway Discovery Ridge. There's a commercial park that has a lot of land. That's right, and it's surrounded by our farmlands. Mm -hmm. We do have a phone caller. Good morning. You're on KFRU, the Sunday morning roundtable. Good morning. Uh, First of all, I want to say to President Choi what a big fan I am of his. And uh, I think virtually everybody I know 
understands uh, what you did with what you found upon your arrival six and a half years ago. And if there were an academic executive hall of fame, you would be in it without any question. Well, that being said, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there's one thing that has troubled me for a long time, and I don't know if this may be too small a line item for you to see from 50,000 feet, but it involves the Columbia Missourian. Mm -hmm. um, my first question is, is it self-sustaining? Or does it require a subsidy, an annual subsidy from the university? Um, I do not know that. I don't have the answer for that, but I will find out. Uh, the Why don't you continue with your question, please? Okay. My question is, is that uh, whether or not it's self-sustaining or whether or not it gets a subsidy from the university, which I believe it does, um, what has troubled me is that for a long time, the Missourian has masqueraded as a newspaper, and really what it is, it's a, uh, a I would call a vanity project of left-leaning faculty and others, and it has evolved into what I would characterize as a tabloid-style publication, of, uh, almost entirely of grievance-type features. For example, they take the state government and the state legislature to task all the time, which mm -hmm. is fine. They, mm -hmm. they should. But they never take the Columbia city government to task. And I have to believe the difference is a political one. And that's not journalism in my, yeah. in my judgment. Mm -hmm. so, the, the publication is not yeah. fair. It's not balanced. Uh, if you look at the opinion page, uh, it's mostly editorials from the Post-Dispatch or the paper in Kansas City, which do not reflect so, so, yeah, all I, of the opinions yeah, of so the call, residents of Missouri. Yeah, call her a specifically a question for, for Dr. Choi then, maybe? Um. Well, I think it's obvious, but I'll restate it. Mm -hmm. it I would... Uh, uh, does he think that that's the right way for the Missourian to be? And should there be some sort of action to make it mm -hmm. more reflective of, uh, mm -hmm. of the state and the county and the city? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of people who don't agree with that one-sided journalism. Right. Well, thank you for that comment and, and the question. Um, I believe that news organizations need to be in the business of seeking the truth and to be apolitical, and to, uh, to lay out complex issues for people to uh, have a better understanding of those issues. And, and, and what I know about the Columbia Missourian and the School of Journalism is that they have faculty members that believe in what I just shared as the principles. And, uh, and for them to educate their students to follow those principles as they go about their work is important. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, we ha it's people that are, that are doing it, and sometimes their own personal views may come through. But in those cases, I know that the editors take uh, their profession very seriously, and we'll have conversations with the reporters uh, that make those, uh, that actually write those articles. Yeah, I have a unique perspective follow-up. I've been a, mm -hmm. a volunteer opinion writer in the Columbia Missouri oh, for several yeah. years, mm -hmm. write a piece every couple of weeks and so forth, various topics. A conservative voice. 
Uh, that's been my charge from the editors, and mm-hmm. I, I found them to be quite fair in that regard. Um, Voice crying out in the wilderness. Yeah, so, I mean, there's trends in journalism at large that the caller pointed out, which are, are, are quite a thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. what's the persuasion of people that might be interested in journalism as a career? We can generalize about that. One question that does come up that maybe mm-hmm. for you specifically, Dr. Choi, there's been a question of, well, does the university tell the Missourian what to do? Is it? independent enough to where is it going to criticize the university sometimes there's a question in our world about that type of interaction Mm -hmm. about ownership kind of Mm -hmm. and journalistic independence what would you say is your interaction with well the missourian and also the missouri method uh outlets whether Mm -hmm. it be the npr affiliate channel 8 tv where you have students doing actual real world reporting what what's your interaction do you tell them what to do or what's that what's that interaction no we don't and 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 you also mentioned uh you know do they write articles that are that are uh that criticize the university well you've read those articles i read those articles but uh but you know the, it they do have the the responsibility of keeping um of holding powers that be accountable. And I think that's important for, for uh, a news organization. And, uh, but there is no editorial oversight and there is no directive coming from the university to any of the news organizations that are operated by the university. Quick comment, then I want to run, go on to the next uh, topic. A few weeks ago, someone called and said that the uh, mm-hmm. that KOMU was subsidized. I checked with a former uh, uh, director out there, Marty mm-hmm. Sadal, and he said, no, there were a profit center that were like any other TV station mm-hmm. and poured money into the university. Uh, research, can you give yes. us an update on research, uh, what's going on? I know uh, the numbers are expanding uh, almost exponentially, that's and that's right. a good thing. And, and that is a good thing. Uh, our research expenditures are reported each year to the National Science Foundation. And over the past 10 years, we've nearly doubled the research to over $462 million. And during that period, it's also important to recognize that the total number of tenure, tenure track faculty members have been uh, con- nearly constant. So we've not increased the total number, but we have new faculty members that we're able to recruit, and there are some faculty members that have retired during that period. So our faculty members on the whole are more uh, active in getting their market share of research from federal governments and the state. In other words, a big productivity increase. Very big productivity increase, and that comes about because our faculty members in the past did not get the support from the university to write large proposals or to have facilities like NextGen in which to conduct the research or have access to instruments that they needed for the research. So in order to be successful Mm -hmm. in this business of research, Mm -hmm. we need to make investments, and that's what we did. I've talked to some faculty, uh, present and former, that it's become more of a, I thought entrepreneurial is the the right word, but, you know, on staff to kind of come up with grant writing opportunities Mm -hmm. and that be part of their Mm -hmm. expectation. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit of a change from this historic, you know, ivory tower sort of thing. Uh, back on the um, uh, research reactor, um, you know, there's been a question about uh, tech transfer. Mm-hmm. So you do this world-class research, come mm-hmm. up with a marketable idea that can be applied in the marketplace. 
who owns that? Mm-hmm. Is it the university? Is it the research faculty? Is it the corporate partner? A, a variety of those. There's been a court case and so forth. All right. Those. But how is that dealt with now going forward? It, it depends on what the agreement was that led to that research breakthrough. But if it is a faculty member that developed that research in the, his or her area of expertise, that is owned by the University of Missouri. Now, when that technology gets licensed, the faculty member gets a portion of the licensing, a significant a portion, about a third, thing. about a third. Okay. <laughs> and the balance of it comes to the university for, for us to make investments into further research. There's some research in which corporations may come in and say, we're bringing this technology to you, and we want to be able to share in developing development of new technologies that are based on joint work. And so we can share that technology licensing with the company that provided that support. And that's but those are all seven years ago, would you say? That's right. Okay. We that's need right. to take a time out. We're going to do that right yeah. now. It is the Sunday Morning Roundtable, 98.9 FM, 1400 AM KFRU. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. 927, 989 FM, 1400 AM KFRU. Sunday morning roundtable, Bob Roper, Steve Spellman, and our guest this morning, Dr. Moon Choi from the University of Missouri, as we continue. Dr. Choi, one of your initiatives uh, that everybody's heard of, knows is important, but probably don't understand fully, is Mizzou Forward. Mm-hmm. It's yes. a big deal. Uh, and my. Sources tell me that it's going really well. Could you explain what it is, how it's doing, what it's supposed to do, et cetera? Because I think it is a big deal. Thank you. Mizzou Ford is our investment in achieving excellence. It was developed during the pandemic, and uh, I appreciate the support from the Board of Curators. Uh, For us to be able to launch a program that is $1.5 billion in scope over a 10-year period to attract the very best faculty and staff and to recruit the very best students so that we can achieve excellence in those three areas of student success, research, and engagement. At the heart of it is hiring faculty members who are nationally known for their research, whether it's a law faculty performing uh, research in constitutional democracy to and then a cancer researcher working on immunotherapy hire the very best and they will serve to bring in they'll serve as a magnet to bring in other high performing faculty members so it is going very well we've already hired over 50 faculty faculty members to this mechanism and uh, it will continue for the next uh, uh, next uh, seven years and we're excited about that it's one of those things that's a little bit under the radar for a lot of people but I truly believe that between next gen and this program, mm-hmm. the citizens of the state of Missouri are going to be the big beneficiaries of they this. They will. They will. Uh, recently, we hired Professor Paul D. Figueredo from Texas A&M University. He's a cancer researcher. He began at 
<laughs> his term as a Mizzou forward faculty in uh, August of this year. And in September, he was notified by NIH that he received a $20 million cancer moonshot project to develop new ways of uh, treating cancer through immunotherapy. And that faculty member is going to be able to attract top researchers from around the country because they'll want to work with him. And so Mizzou is going to be placed on the map on cancer immunotherapy because of his work as well as work of so many faculty like Diana Gilpahes, who has who was recruited from uh, from Canada about three years ago. Well, we had Dr. Uh, David Arnold on the program a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he was talking a, a similar line that uh, it's amazing the quality people the Next Gen program that he runs has mm-hmm. been able to attract. I think their latest came out of Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, and they're well well ahead of schedule on all this. So it sounds like. Next Gen and Mizzou Forward kind of work together. They, they do. Uh, Next Gen is part of Mizzou Forward, and uh, Dr. Dave Arnold, who we recruited from Ohio State University, is also bringing together world-class researchers that will compete for important programs at NIH and Department of Defense. Yeah, I think that's uh, some good points there. You know, Dr. Choi, one of the primary things I wanted to make sure to ask you about is something we've chatted about offline as well, is some of the things that were just mentioned here. Some informed listeners may have heard of, they maybe know the headline news piece, maybe it's news to them. And as someone who's grown up in this community, I'm a Mizzou graduate, got two kids here, I'm, I'm someone actively trying to realize what's going on in the news. Mm-hmm. And you almost have to know through the grapevine of a lot of things in the community, frankly, with city council or Mizzou or business community or whatever. Um, but getting Mizzou's message out there, you mentioned the website and so forth, uh, you know, show me Mizzou. But you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, you could be curing cancer over here, and I'm, I might not know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the sports, you know, gets gets the attention and so forth, and that mm-hmm. that's its own thing. But what – strategies to further get Mizzou's message out there, that value proposition. Again, mm. you can be curing cancer, but uh, it's news to me, and I'm somebody out here trying to Absolutely. soak in what's going on. Absolutely. And uh, and that is an issue that uh, that we've been trying to solve for many years. And, and, and I think this upcoming year, we're going to do something very special with our campaign to rebrand Mizzou. And that campaign is being led by our new vice chancellor of communication and marketing named John Denker. He held a similar he held the same title when he was at University of Arizona, and his forte is in marketing, marketing our university to attract new students, but also attracting uh, excitement about the work that we do. And you know, I want to go back and. And, and, and share that with regards to our nuclear research reactor, it's been here for 56 years. But when I discussed that with uh, some members of the community, they'll say, I had no idea. It's not their fault. It's our fault. That's for the best not, example of that. Yes, yes, it's our fault for not sharing the impact of this in a way that resonates with even residents of Columbia. And so you'll see some exciting new marketing that focuses on what we do at this university, not only the Columbia, but big markets. 
in St. Louis, Kansas City, Springfield, as well as rural parts of the state. We want people to know the great things that are happening here. I think uh, that'll be very beneficial. A lot of people really don't understand how uh, unique uh, this campus is here. We have the reactor. We have a KOMU-TV. Mm-hmm. We have professional schools more than any other place, law, medicine, veterinary, uh, nursing, maybe some I'm forgetting about. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure any other university has all that stuff. I don't think so. And yet I, it would be great if all our citizens knew that because they would appreciate That's it. That's right. And you are right. We are unique in that way. Yep. And because of those unique strengths, we're able to – achieve so much when it comes to research and uh, and the programs and education that we provide. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about sports, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes. which is a, a happier conversation lately than mm-hmm. it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so impressed with the uh, progress of the football team, uh, not only the coaching, obviously 7-1, and one, uh, but the recruiting. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, Dennis Gates is uh, off the charts, off to a great start. And uh, Robin Pinkton has some challenges. I wish her well. Let's hope hope that works out all right. Mm-hmm. But uh, the sports, you know how we've talked about this before, uh, successful major sports teams, particularly men's basketball and football, mean a lot around the state, mean a lot for the university. It really does. and uh, And I really appreciate the leadership and support of the board for us to focus on the importance of athletics. We need to embrace our SEC uh, membership and to compete, compete at the national level. You know, we ask our faculty members to compete at the national level to get NIH funding as well as NSF funding. In the same way, we expect our teams to compete for championships. And so the level of uh, support from the board has been incredible. On top of that, we have an outstanding and visionary uh, athletics director. If you attended a basketball game this year or a football game, the excitement, you could feel it. You could feel it from the student section. You could feel it from the fan experience. It is, uh, it's quite something to attend one of those events. The real deal. The, uh, uh, in that regard, uh, one of the key things that happened, both at a legislative level, but just mm-hmm. what's going on, is NIL, mm-hmm. which I fully admit I don't really <clears throat> understand very well. But I do know that uh, if you want to keep people like Luther Burden the Third, mm-hmm. you probably have to uh, utilize the NIL, and I think that's being done, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't believe in, in these people being unpaid gladiators mm-hmm. that are used and then uh, discarded, so I'm okay. Can you explain how that's helped uh, our athletic programs? So we have we have the most uh, progressive progressive NIL bill in the country. And in our, Missouri? Yes, in Missouri okay. we have the most progressive bill, which which will enable our coaches – our outstanding coaches, by the way, our outstanding coaches keep the best talent in this state. And so we are now able to work directly with, uh, with uh, let's say, a marketing agency, the Every True Tiger Marketing Agency, mm-hmm. so that we can partner on providing NIL training as well as NIL opportunities for student-athletes. And the real... Uh, the key feature of the legislation is that 
It enables Missouri high school seniors who had signed a national letter of intent right. to a Missouri university to begin earning NIL dollars while they're in high school. And that's brand new. That is brand new, and that is innovative. <clears throat> and there are many legislators that helped to see this through, including Curtis Gregory, mm-hmm. as well as senior leaders in both houses. And we thank the governor for signing that into law. And he did that at the, at the Faroe Field not too long ago. We're very excited about that. Well, I still remember growing up in a little town in southwest Missouri, Lamar, mm-hmm. and when Missouri football uh, was doing well, mm-hmm. everybody wanted to go to Mizzou. I mean, uh, let's face it, it's a big deal. I know, and mm-hmm. what a job Coach uh, Drinkwitz has done this year. Yeah. Seven and one. Seven Almost and eight one. zip. Yeah. Came real close. Almost eight zip. Uh, but we'll but, take uh, it. But we'll take it, and we're going to mm-hmm. go to Georgia, and we're going to show mm-hmm. them what Mizzou football is all about mm-hmm. to those Georgia dogs right yeah exactly and bob i don't know if i want to play a little good cop bad cop here but i, I tend to get a little snarky uh-huh. about college athletics uh-huh. yeah. and you could be curing cancer nobody knows about it because well i don't yeah. know the football team mm-hmm. and that's not a criticism that's the nature of our world yeah and you know i might look at you know what's the mission of the, the university and we talked about the transition mm-hmm. uh, an industry at a crossroads mm-hmm. that's a national issue including it the zoo that's going on um but you know, the mission of your organization, is it to provide learning services to mm-hmm. students? Is it to research things that are for the public good? Mm-hmm. Um, is it owning a, uh, a basically a medical enterprise with mm-hmm. MU Health, a part of it, or a sports entertainment enterprise mm-hmm. that is participating mm-hmm. in our market economy mm-hmm. and competing for dollars and attention and so forth? Mm-hmm. And really, again, I can get kind of snarky about well, it seems like there's an outweighed attention to the sports field. And, like, mm-hmm. what's learning going on? What's the core purpose that this institution exists? What is – how do you describe the value of sports, college sports these days? Uh, incredible value. Incredible value because it creates that excitement. It creates awareness. And it creates that entree point into learning more about the university. And so for students to consider this university because they are first get (laughs) excited about our football and basketball teams, gives them an opportunity to learn more about the pre-med program that we have. They want to pursue that path to do research at our cancer center or do research as a chemistry major in our nuclear research reactor. And so it is that important entree point, that front porch that we talk about. And so it is a critically important component to our university. And the fact that our applications are up by such a high level this year is due to excitement in football. But while that provides that entree point, our admissions officers and Roman managers are selling the program effectively so that that awareness leads to applications, applications to our university. We have a phone call. We're going to take that one right now on the Sunday Morning Roundtable. Good morning. You're on KFRU. Good morning. I wanted to mention to President Choi something that I've been hearing in the last year or so that I don't think reflects well on the honor of the university. Mm-hmm. And that is um, at athletic events, they have started playing this song, and at the end of the song, the students all join in with a chant that is FKU 
to me, that's disrespectful, and it's not appropriate for the athletic department to be authorizing that kind of behavior and encouraging it by, by playing the song just to get the students fired up. So I'd like uh, I'd like the president's reaction to that, please. Well, I, I hear that from, uh, from a number of people that attend the events. Uh, I also uh, hear from those that like the tradition of it. I think they used to play that when uh, KU comes into town. Uh, this is something that uh, I will continue to evaluate and speak to our athletics directors, uh, athletic director about the path to move forward. How do we, how do we maintain the the excitement of during those games without uh, without offending people? And I know that I've heard from people that it, it is offensive, and so I take that very seriously. We're going to take a timeout. It is the Sunday morning roundtable, ninety-eight nine FM, fourteen hundred AM. KFRU. 946, it is 98.9 FM, 1400 AM KFRU, the Sunday morning roundtable. Bob Roper, Steve Spellman, and Dr. Moon Choi on the program this morning. And we do go to the phone and welcome you in to the Sunday morning roundtable. Good morning. You're on KFRU. Morning. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that last caller. I had no idea that this was being done. Uh, what do you see at the games or whatever? Um, but my, my question and comment is, I hope the uh, that profanity in general, but mostly the F-bomb in particular, is not being tolerated in the classroom. Uh, yes, you're right about that. Thank you. Thank you for that comment, sir. Uh, before we leave athletics, I know that uh, the athletic director, Desiree Reed Francois, I think I got it right, mm-hmm. has announced some fairly ambitious facilities improvement plans, including mm-hmm. the north part of the end zone of the mm-hmm. uh, uh, north end zone of the uh, stadium. Uh, that's all going to be unveiled over the next few weeks in detail, but uh, it sounds like a fairly ambitious plan. It is, and it's a sign that the university, with the leadership of the board, wants to make investments in our facilities so our athletes can compete uh, and for us to recruit the top athletes, student athletes, to our university. And uh, she will be making a presentation at the upcoming board meeting in St. Louis, and uh, she'll be discussing concepts for the master facilities plan for athletics. Okay. Before we leave uh, mm-hmm. sports, I will say one last comment about NIL. Mm-hmm. Uh, successful teams equal increases of applications of 12 to 15%, I think. Mm-hmm. So if you want to look at the uh, metrics for success, there it is right there. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And you talked about what happened uh, 10, 15 years ago when the football team was doing really yeah. well and the growth in enrollment that we had. Yep. So, yes. Next topic uh, in the summertime, I guess it was in June, mm-hmm. U.S. Supreme Court uh, <clears throat> basically on uh, equal protection, uh, uh, 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, I'm not sure which, struck down uh, uh, Harvard and North Carolina's race-based admissions program. Mm-hmm. It's created a lot of angst, etc. In fact, there's an article in the Missourian Today about mm-hmm. that. Uh, your take on on uh, that court decision, mm-hmm. how the universities adjusted to it, if any, if you even had to. Mm-hmm. I didn't think Missouri was doing much of that stuff anyway, but your take on it. 
So I, I think it, it was important for us to prepare for that decision. We knew, we knew that that decision was going to come out the way it did, and we evaluated all of our programs to determine which programs had race-based admissions. At the undergraduate level, none of our programs used race-based admissions. Race-based admissions, where race was considered a factor, was being used in some uh, graduate programs. Uh, but since that uh, decision was made, we changed our practice on admissions to eliminate race as a factor in determining admission. Now, at the undergraduate and graduate levels, we also had some uh, race-based scholarships, which were allowed by law. But since the passage, since the decision from Supreme Court, we eliminated awarding new race-based scholarships, but we also made it very clear that we're going to honor all race-based scholarships that were made in the past. That was the only fair thing to do for our students. A lot of people are very passionately against that decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably the beneficiaries of uh, mm-hmm. those kind of policies before then. And what they fail to see, I think, is that they may be benefited, but they're benefited at the expense of someone else who was discriminated against so they could be benefited. I think it's very important <laughs> to uh, not discriminate based on race for any uh, of our activities. And uh, the important important fact, fact that we we focused on is that as a public institution, we're going to follow the law of the land. That was important. Mm-hmm. And soon after the decision from the Supreme Court, we were directed by the Attorney General of the state of Missouri, Andrew Bailey, who is the chief legal officer in the state, that all public universities must must eliminate race-based admission and scholarshiping. So that was another reason that we decided that we knew that our decision was the right one uh, for our institution. Well, the, that's right. The attorney general swings a pretty big stick, and so you definitely want to listen to anything he tells you. Well, we're a public institution. Yeah. We must follow the law of the state. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Choi, I appreciate this engagement. Um, you know, we'll follow up with your office about uh, further information about uh, some of the departments that you have and further communication with the, the public as Bob and I and others mm-hmm. have opportunities to. Um, starting back, you know, it back to the idea of an industry in transition, mm-hmm. kind of updating things for the times, for student populations and society and so forth. A number of the changes that you've had that have been transformative that we've described, there have been some kudos from some callers, but sometimes the faculty lounge, et cetera, this has changed their expectations of how higher ed used to work. And they've had certain expectations and those change, and not everybody likes that. Mm-hmm. How have you dealt with criticisms about, hey, you're mean, you're not nice, you're, uh, <laughs> this is an important program that you're cutting, mm-hmm. and we disagree, and some are quite vocal about that. How do you deal with that criticism? And, and I understand why the, uh, you know, what led to those criticisms, especially when, when the university decides not to support programs that have been supported for decades. Right. And I, so I understand where that uh, complaint or criticism is coming from. But I also have a responsibility to the state's taxpayers as well as uh, constituents within the university that are doing important work that 
achieves the excellence that we seek in ways that may be uh, more beneficial than the programs that we were supporting in the past. Mm. And so I have to make a decision because we are running the business of higher education and in all organizations that have opportunities but also restrictions based on finances, we are we have to make difficult decisions. We have a phone caller. Going to go back to the phones. Good morning. You're on the Sunday morning roundtable on KFRU. Yes, good morning. Uh, I have a question for Dr. Choi. I am a faculty member there at Zoo and uh, teach undergraduate classes in addition to doing research. Um, have been here for a number of years, and uh, I would say during those COVID uh, year plus, it was a difficult time for us to get through with education and trying to keep social distancing and everything else. One thing I made an observation is that over the last several years, it's become more difficult for students to really focus on academics later in the semester. So I wanted to make a suggestion. Mm -hmm. If we could take Thanksgiving week and keep the Wednesday through Friday break part of that and take Monday and Tuesday and make that as a break somewhere in early to mid-October, could we encourage students to be able to get a bit of a mid-semester break? Uh, the only time they really have off after Labor Day is essentially the Thanksgiving break. And in my observation, most students that come back from that break, not highly motivated for classes. We have about a week and a half. And then we go into semester-ending exams. Mm. And I think it's a pretty tough time come late October, early November for students to focus having such a long time between mm. Labor Day and the Thanksgiving break. So I wonder if if you and the uh, provost would consider that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, if I could ask you to contact me, my email is moonchoi.missouri.edu. Contact me at, so that we can have a discussion about this. Uh, you also probably know that the faculty the faculty decide on on the the schedule the calendar academic calendar but that's something that i can have a discussion with the faculty council leadership about uh any ways that we can better support student learning is uh, is something that i would love to explore so thank you for bringing that up thanks for the call dr Choi. uh not too much time left i wanted to run by you mm -hmm. extension and engagement mm -hmm. uh all the economic impact, but more importantly, uh, when I was growing up, there was a extension in every every county, but it was all agriculture. Mm -hmm. Now, thanks to Marshall Stewart's work when he was here, and probably mm -hmm. continued by uh, Chad, mm -hmm. I think what, I forget his last name. Sorry, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, really become a, a, a big uh, program for all of Missouri. You want to comment on yes, how it's going? Yes, and uh, Chad Hagan is now the interim vice chancellor for extension and engagement. And while we provide, while we still provide significant support for agriculture, it is a component of the services that we provide in K through 12 education, rural, medical as well as rural economic development, especially through rural broadband. And so we, are, we provide a variety of services to residents that otherwise would not get that support. And so through their extension offices and extension uh, faculty and staff, they're receiving the benefit of the important that we work that we do at the university. And 
that's one of the reasons why we're getting such great support from the state legislature is because of the work and the impact that we have in the community. It's probably extension. creating more student applications, too. It has. Yeah. It really has. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, on a substantive level, it's really a good program. It, it does good things for Missourians. We're making a difference. Yeah. We're making a difference. Yeah. Dr. Choi, what would you in kind of come up my closing? Uh, speaking to folks in the, the local community here, um, what's one of the most common misconceptions about the university that you run into that you might just communicate to folks uh, some we talk about things that people don't know about research reactor and mm. so forth but people think it's this way but actually it's this way that you end up kind of uh, having a discussion with common misconception i think what, what i do here is there may be a sense that that the Community members may have a feeling about higher education because of what they're hearing from the national press. Okay, national uh, narratives versus because it'll be it'll be it'll be misconceptions that say we're unaffordable. Well, Mizzou must be unaffordable, or okay. Mizzou is indoctrinating students. And when I share with them that here are the things that we do, and that we provide an outstanding, affordable education, and we're creating producing citizens that believe in civil discourse in a democratic society, then they have a different understanding. Mm. And so the more that they can learn about what we do and not just use anecdotes about what's Mm. happening or listening only to the national dialogue about higher education, they'll find that they they have a great gem of a university right here in Columbia. Fair enough. You've been listening to the KFRU Sunday Morning Roundtable podcast. Don't forget to check out the show live Sunday mornings from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 a.m. KFRU. And check out our other podcast from Columbia Morning with David Lyle, The Morning Meeting with Simon Rose, The Closures with George Young, the KLIK Sunday Morning Roundtable, and more on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. From News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 a.m. KFRU. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? She is the least credible person I may have ever seen on camera. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Guys, not everything is 40 chess. Why can't we just laugh? Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. We all know I'm the number one rapper in the world thanks to Facts by Tom McDonald. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.